Hey, everybody, the sheriff is in town. <laughs> My special guest today is none other than Duane Sheriff, pastor, leader. Thank you for being here today. It, you made it to the orange I, couch. I made it to the orange couch. We got rid of all of our orange, yellow, and green furniture <laughs> in the early 80s. And it's so good to see an orange couch oh, again. So we're bringing retro back. <laughs> Listen, I really enjoyed my, my interview with you the last time you were on via Skype. I really enjoyed your heart. I love your message. I've never met someone like you that will talk about sin, yet in the same sentence, you give me love, you give me grace, you give me hope. Amen. It's like when mama used to say, stop doing that, quit touching the fire, but she yeah. did it in love. Yeah, yeah. Where do you think that message comes from? Uh, well, we know where that comes from. That definitely comes from the gospel, comes from our favorite hero of all time, the modeled son, Jesus Christ. And yeah, but he, I, I he have just, to stop and, and okay. say this because... All right. Did I, I get too spiritual? You got, you got too <laughs> spiritual too, so you got too pastoral. And, and I really believe yeah. that the spiritual side of you is connected to who you really are. I believe you're a, a kind man. I, you're I a man so. of integrity. You're a very well-dressed man, I can tell that. <laughs> uh, but you're a genuine person. And I believe that God inhabits in the character of a person. It's Amen. almost like it's in you already. Amen. And I admire you for that because you don't find people like you anymore. Well, you're being way too kind, but if I can break it back down then to something natural. Give me three points, Pastor. Well, I'm not going <laughs> to give you three points, uh, but you know, raising children, believe it or not, uh, probably developed my character and looking to the Lord, and how do I discipline my child and it not be wrath? Because the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. How do I discipline my child and it be real love, not anger oh. or selfishness or uh, on and on I could go? A lot of people even discipline their children out of embarrassment. All these things wow. are such a negative thing. And so actually disciplining my children uh, probably help develop that character. All right, you're ministering to me. You're dropping <laughs> some bombs already. We haven't even started. You ought to write a book about that. I have a book coming you're... out, Children as Arrows. Oh, can I have uh, the first copy? <laughs> if you'll let me sit uh, on the couch again. You can lay on the couch. <laughs> no, you know why? I was thinking about how I parent. And sometimes I parent out of fear. Sometimes I parent out of nerve. How do I put this kindly for myself? Out of desperation. Absolutely. Right? I grew up without a father. I, I, I didn't know what a father supposed to look like, act like. Yet here I am trying to be a yeah. father. Yeah. And yeah. can I confess to you, Father? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. No, I, I think it's time for well, us to be genuine and understand that raising kids yeah. is difficult when you don't know where to draw from. Yeah. Well, I mean... Paul even said, back to getting spiritual Come again, <laughs> uh, you know, Paul talked about how we've got all these teachers, but we don't have any fathers. Oh, so man. pastoring is like being a father. You, you, if you're real and you love people, you, you care about their lives. You care about them prospering and reaching their destiny and their divine call and, and predestination in Christ. And you can't, you can't do that without correction. You can't do that without mind renewal. You can't, there's your three points. Oh, and you boy. can't, you can't do that writing this down. without discipline and making disciples. What is the great commission? 
We're supposed to go into the world and make disciples, not mm. converts. You have to have converts to make disciples. I'm not saying evangelism isn't a part of our call, but we're to make disciples. Well, a disciple is a disciplined follower that's been disciplined. So a part of a part of effective pastoring is loving discipline. And it's amazing over the years how many people love me. You know, if you if you spare the rod, Proverb, Proverbs 13, 24. If you spare the rod, one of the most misquoted scriptures in the entire Bible. Uh-oh. If you spare the, the rod, you spoil the child. Uh, no, it says if you spare the rod, you hate the child. Mm. But if you love him, you discipline him be times or early. So there we have love is defined as an action, discipline. Yeah. And hate is literally defined not by emotions any more than love is defined by emotions but by an inaction. And so for me to say I love my children and not discipline them lovingly is a form of hate. And so same thing in pastoring a church. Anytime I deal with sin in the church or sin in members of the church, I never approach it with self-righteousness or condescending or I have no sin. No, it's because I have sinned. Mm -hmm. It's because I am a flawed human being that I'm super merciful because I need mercy. So I sow mercy, but that doesn't change the fact, stop that. Uh-oh. It'll ruin your marriage. It'll, it'll, it'll destroy your legacy. It'll, it'll give Boy, Satan we place. we need more and of that, don't we? We really do. There's such a gap. There's either abusive, like in the natural. There's abusive discipline of children that is just horrible. Then neglect mm. of children, which is a form of hate. If they don't know consequences, boundaries, uh, they're not going to be happily married. They're not going to be able to keep a job, on and on it goes. Well, the same thing's true in the church. If, if, if we don't teach boundaries, not because God's legalistic, but because if you cross this line, it damages you. Sin hurts you. It hurts your family. It hurts a culture. And, and I just never saw that modeled coming up, but I feel like the Lord really put it in my heart to to be what I wish everyone else would be. Oh, man. Listen, my special guest today is Duane Sheriff. (laughs) Where did that name come from, Sheriff? Oh, I don't know, but I I do love my name. It does have a sense of authority. I'm an ex-gang member sitting next to the Sheriff. (laughs) This is why I I admire you. You're comfortable around the Sheriff. Listen, when there's Uh, nothing to hide, it's all right, right? (laughs) But you are the founding pastor and senior elder of Victory Life Church. How's your church doing? Oh, it's just uh, exploding uh, with growth, with development, with what I think is the ultimate goal, maturity of mm. a body of believers. We're a multi-site cam- campus that has its challenges, uh, but we're, we're learning to reproduce our DNA and our culture, kingdom culture at different locations. So I'm, I'm hopeful for the future. I've raised up a generation now that is carrying the ball and doing well. You've been pastoring for a long time. Four decades. Four decades. What has been the most surprising thing about pastoring? Oh, my goodness. What a question. I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm stunned for the first time in my life without, a, without an answer to a question. But uh, I think one of the most shocking things when I first started was how I thought everyone wanted the truth. I thought the the problems in the church were for a lack of knowledge, that my mm. people are perishing, Hosea 4, 6, for a lack of knowledge. I didn't realize how many people had rejected knowledge, were wow. rejecting the Word of God. Wow. I thought everybody wanted the truth. 
I thought everyone hungered for the truth. And and if you said it in love, would receive it. And so I, I would say that at the beginning was one of the biggest surprises is uh, that people really don't want the truth. And I learned early not to even offer the truth until ask. Uh, I never impose the truth on anyone. I never um, initiate any kind of correction like yeah. we were talking about. Unless someone opens their heart up, they're not going to receive it anyway. So that was a, a shock and a surprise, but it helped develop me in communicating the truth. Has it shocked you that throughout the years, pastors, leaders used to be respected? Yes. Today yes. in our culture, yes, it seems like you tell people you're a pastor. Yeah. They're making a quick joke about it. Mm-hmm. They want to make a, a a quick statement about money. What is it about pastors that most people get the wrong idea? Well, um, I, I'm not stunned on this one. I wish I didn't have to answer, but unfortunately, many pastors have come by their reputation honestly. We've not always been the example we need to be, so some of that negative reputation has been has been unfortunately earned. On the other hand, it's a sign of the culture. It's a sign of the decline in Judeo-Christian um, values, morality, um, again, hunger for truth, as I've already stated. Uh, pastors are despised, literally, today, if they, if they really do preach the Bible, if they have a moral compass, mm. if they're willing to take the, the, the hit for speaking the truth in love. And so it's a cultural issue and then a reputational issue of of the past of just not stepping up like we should have. Why do you stay pastoring this long? Uh, it, man, it's, uh, it's not only a love for God, but for people. I'll do it quickly. After Jesus was raised from the dead, Peter had failed miserably. And he'd already told him he would, he would fail miserably. But when you're converted, you know, strengthen the brethren. And something amazing. I've never heard anybody say this. And the Lord spoke it to me uh, as a pastor. He looked at Peter and said, do you love me? Mm. And Peter said, yes, I love you. Then feed my lambs. Do you love me? Ask him three times. Do you love me? Because he had denied him three times publicly and words have power and guilt and shame is real. Jesus wanted him to publicly affirm his love for him publicly for that confidence to come back and that boldness. But all three times he said, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. So what God in simplicity said, the way I show my love for Jesus is feeding his people. When I look at where we are in the the spectrum of the culture today, where do you feel the church fits in? Well, we're supposed to be the light of the world the salt of the earth. We're supposed to be the driving force of culture. Unfortunately, we've become a a subculture Mm -hmm. to a dominant culture of hate and and death and darkness. And we're not being that counterculture, that identity God has called us to. And so I think there has to be this great awakening, and I believe we're in the first stages of it, where the church truly comes awake that, look, we are the ones that have the power to stop evil. We are the ones that have the armor of God that protects us from evil. 
We're the ones that have the Holy Spirit. We're the ones that have authority. We're the ones that are in submission to the one that has all power and authority. So the church is the hope of the world. Now, I'm not talking about replacing Jesus. I'm talking about the church is the vehicle to get Jesus, the hope of the world, and the enemy has skillfully silenced the church, compromised the church, mm. um, made us irrelevant, uh, afraid. I mean, pastors, I, I, I love pastors. I are one. <laughs> but it's amazing how afraid they really are. They're afraid of the media. They're afraid they're going to lose mm. members of their church yeah. if they get anywhere near cultural issues. And I get it. I've been there. That's another reason I'm merciful about it and gracious. But come on, guys, if 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 children today don't hear there's two identities in the church, where are they going to hear it? They're not going to hear there's only two identities anywhere but the church. If the church doesn't proclaim marriage and the attack on marriage is not about marriage, it's about the gospel, where are they going to hear that? And so we have a responsibility to the truth. First Timothy chapter three, verse 15 says, Paul talking to a pastor, mm -hmm. this is how you ought to act in the church of God. That is the pillar and ground of the truth. We are guardians of the truth and we have to be willing to pay whatever price comes. It'll start with persecution. It always has in the Bible, then prosecution and then execution. We're just at the stage of prosecution now. We've, mm -hmm. We're being persecuted, and we don't know how to handle it because we have been taught. We've been so blessed in this country, and, and, and the culture uh, was complementary to kingdom culture, yeah. church culture, for 200 years, uh, less, a little less than 200 years, but right at 50 years, the culture is anti-kingdom now, anti-church, anti-Christ. And so with it comes now persecution that we forgot that happened for thousands of years to God's people, and we were immune to it because we were a Judeo-Christian Christian culture. Now we're seeing, okay, the persecution's tapped up. The prosecution will tap up. I mean, who, that you talk about a surprise? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. The first time I was threatened with a lawsuit, it freaked me out. Ooh. I mean, I was so naive— I was so innocent in a way that the person is threatening to sue the church. And all I could think about is, do you not understand you're going to meet Jesus one day? Do you not understand that if you've done it unto the least of these, his brethren, you've done it unto him? Do you realize you are standing here threatening to sue Jesus mm. and you call yourself a believer? I mean, I'm not even thinking in the natural, whatever yeah. they're, they're having a fallen out over. It was that, People would even have the thought to sue the church. Now, anyway, I'll let that go from, no, from that, here. You know what? That's pretty because good. Because prosecution is on the horizon. During COVID-19, we haven't even learned our lessons yet, and it was a dress rehearsal. The church was attacked. The church was shut down. Yeah. Pastors were fined. Some were imprisoned. Mm -hmm. Church members were fined for assembling in the parking lot. It's like, what is wrong with us? Wake up. Can you not see what's coming? People are offended at you trying to deal with what's happened. Yeah. Forget what's happened. What's coming? That's it. Do you There's believe you're a watchman? Tough I believe all of us are a watchman. I believe that we're, A, a watchman, every one of us over our own hearts. Mm -hmm. No one else can guard your heart. You are called to guard your heart. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not called to guard your heart. I'm called to guard my heart. So I'm a watchman over my heart. Jesus is the gardener. I have a teaching on this, on Jesus, the gardener of our heart. Mm-hmm. Jesus, uh, Adam was the first man and was a gardener in first creation. Jesus is the gardener of the new creation, mm-hmm. and that's the heart. So I'm a watchman over my heart. Then secondly, I'm a watchman, and all of us as husbands mm-hmm. and fathers are watchmen over our families. Mm-hmm. Then we're watchmen over our churches, leaders, mm-hmm. spiritual leaders. And then the church is to be a watchman over a city. One of our phrases, I've never heard another church say this. I'm sure there are some, but we're not a church in the city. We're a church for the city. Come on. We are here to protect the city. We're here to guard the city. We're here to to see the kingdom and Jesus as Lord in our city to protect our children from sex trafficking, from mm. their their moral innocence being defiled and taken from them uh, in kindergarten. All these things are a part of being a watchman, meaning we're not trying to condemn anybody. We're not attacking anybody, but love protects. Love protects the heart, protects my family, protects our church, and protects our city. And then hopefully God would honor us with faithfulness to protect our state, nation. You wrote a book, Counterculture, Answering a Woke Culture with Love, Light, and Life. You've been talking about a cultural revolution throughout our conversation. You've been talking about the changes in our culture. What is the answer? How do we answer to the change in our culture from the seat of the church? Because when people talk about the church, they talk about the church is not being inclusive. The church, pastors, evangelists, teachers, book materials, the Bible itself is not being inclusive to this agenda, to the other agenda, to where do we sit? How do we view this <laughs> cultural revolution yeah. from the seat that the church has in the midst of the public square? Well, we will, if we're the church, and we truly are the church, the body of Christ, his body, him being our head. There's never going to be compromise with darkness. Mm. We will never have unity. There's no such thing as unity with darkness, with evil. And I, I, again, this is a short interview, mm-hmm. and I, I cover this in the book mm-hmm. with the armor of God. Um, there, There's this misunderstanding of love that has to be clarified in the church, misunderstanding of justice. God is a just God, and we're called to be a just people. But you never find justice in the Bible separate from his righteousness. Mm -hmm. You take God out of justice, now you have chaos, vigilantism, uh, hatred, um, murder, on and on it goes in the name of justice. So we have to regain the language. Satan has stolen the language, redefined the language and put us on the outside trying to get in. We're truly supposed to be on the inside, not on the outside trying to get in. We're to be driving the narrative. We're to be driving the conversation. And we're just mm. simply not. We're we're not bold. I'm not talking about being rude or mean. There's a difference in being being bold and rude, just like there's a difference in arrogance and confidence. There's a fine line, but there's a difference. We have to be bold in our conviction and faith in who is Lord, where is the kingdom, uh, mm-hmm. and how do we implement it 
implement it here. So until the church gets back to loyalty to Jesus, which is loyalty to his word, passion for him, Mm. he's our husband. We've been an unfaithful wife. Um, We've committed adultery, spiritual adultery on the Lord, and it's cost us dearly and the culture. And to regain it, we have to get back to some simplicity of, of love for Jesus, love for people. What does it mean to love? Again, it's, just it, redefining terms would go a long way. It's like we don't know who we are anymore, right? No, we've we lost lo- our, our identity. My first book on identity theft deals with our individual identity, and you'll never fulfill your purpose if you don't know who you are. Wow. Well, the church doesn't know who she is anymore. She thinks she's a bless me club. She thinks she's supposed to be just a place to go along, to get along with whatever's going on. And, and we're not called to be that. We are called, and where I, I think chickened out on the armor of God was this peace thing and harmony. Well, Jesus said, think not that I come to bring peace on the earth. I come to bring a sword. I come yeah. to divide. That is a difficult scripture. I, I explain it in the book, on the armor of God. Mm-hmm. But God divides light from dark. What fellowship, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, what fellowship does light have with darkness? Christ with Belial or the devil. There is a righteous, godly division and harmony within the church in that division that changes hearts and lives and calls them to God. Man, I've got some... some Listen, teaching I, I on opened Paul up on, on, on page 87, and you give us a graph of armor of light versus armor of darkness. Yes. And all, what you do is you identify what the armor of light is. And what, the, what spiritual warfare is. Because exactly. it always gets spooky. Always, right? That, that was one of them things in pastoring that was a surprise, <laughs> too. I thought the intercessors <laughs> would be my, <laughs> oh, boy. You know, my safe place and... I'm having to correct the intercessors constantly on how to pray and and uh, how to do mm. spiritual warfare biblically and not get all goofy or, or, or kooky. But the armor of God is the warfare. The warfare is between truth and lies, mm. between God's righteousness and self-righteousness, between the, the, the helmet of salvation, which is God's philosophy, God's word and thinking versus the philosophies of men. So we're in a a spiritual battle, every single one of us every day, with the media and all the deception coming at Mm. us, with the politics and the corruption of both of our parties uh, coming at us, and that battle of trying to discern what's happening, what's right, what's wrong, of righteousness. The devil comes, 2 Corinthians 4 says, he comes as an angel of light. Mm. He doesn't come as the devil. He comes and says, this is love. All this sexual perversion, you people are so mean-spirited. Yeah. How can you call this sexual perversion? This is love. And now love is, is defined in terms of perversions, according to the Bible. Uh, now we're talking about pedophilia being love, maps. People called map, yeah. a minor attraction person. It's not your fault that you're attracted to a young... Yes, it is. Repent. Wow. That is horrible to defile a young... But yet I'm attacked because I'm protecting a a young person and saying that is not love. You know, uh, something is it's just very wrong. And it's it's our fault. I'm not saying that to condemn us. Mm -hmm. But if we don't wake up, where does the world and, you know, what, what happened to 
God so loved the world. You've got Christians today that are absolutely not active in their faith that are actually pulling back, mm-hmm. wanting everything to collapse because Jesus can't come back, they say, mm-hmm. till everything collapses. Mm-hmm. What kind of love is that for people? Do you know, why didn't Jesus come back in the first century? Because mm-hmm. he loves people. That's it. Why isn't he coming back right now? Because he loves people. These lost people, he loves them, and he's called us to take the gospel to him, the good news of if you'll acknowledge your sin, mm. if you'll turn and repent of your sin, you can be saved from the wrath to come and Listen, be a part of God's eternity. I got one minute left. Can you oh, lead man, us in a prayer? Absolutely. I think the most important thing is for you to know that there is hope in Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know what you've heard about Jesus. I don't know what your experience has been. All I know is that I am a testimony. I'm a living testimony that the power of the gospel changes lives. I'm a testimony that after two decades, almost three, Amen. this gospel thing works. Can you do something that most people are afraid to do, and that is an altar call? Well, Can we do that? I do them almost every service. So, you know, I just want to encourage you, if you're watching, that God does love you, that Jesus died as much for you as he did Mondo, as he did me for me or anybody else. The only difference is we've received it. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing to your heart right now. He's drawing you away from your sin, not condemning you or putting you down. He loves you and he has a plan for you. And it is a plan of prosperity and health and goodness and kindness and wonderful relationships. And the gospel is the message of Jesus loving you, dying for your sins. And if you will believe God raised him from the dead and you'll confess him as Lord with your mouth, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the tyranny and slavery of sin. Saved from the wrath to come on what the Bible calls the children of disobedience and rebellion. You're not one of those. God's calling you out of that right now, even as I speak. And I believe that as I pray and Mondo agrees with me, if you'll pray a simple prayer of faith in Jesus, God will change you inside, in your heart. And now you can serve him with all your heart the rest of your life. Father, all those that are watching, that right now faith has come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for drawing them to you. Thank you for them believing God raised Jesus from the dead. And right now, confessing him as Lord, they shall be saved. Amen and amen. Amen. Praise God. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Oh, I love that. Amen. Listen, now that you pray that prayer, you need material in your hand. I want you to get the book, Counterculture, Answering a Woke Culture with Love, Light, and Life. It's something that we're all struggling to understand. But one thing that never changes is that his word, It's still true today as it was 2,000 years ago. He loves you. He's crazy about you. Amen. And I want to tell you something, that when you fall in love with him and you begin a personal relationship, it will change your view. It will change your politics. It will change how you see culture. It's all about people. Oh, I love what you just said. It's all about people. I know you want the rapture to come, but guess what? It's all about people. All about people. And if you want to know something, go and share what God has done in your life. It's going to bring hope to your neighbor. Amen. I got to get going. But listen. (laughs) 
pastors, thank you for joining me on the orange couch. <laughs> thank you. I can keep listening to you. We can keep having this conversation. Don't be a stranger. I love you. Thank you for and having me. I appreciate me. Even though your last name is Sheriff, you're always <laughs> welcome back. Amen. And listen, I got to get going, but no one thing. Keep the faith. It's going to be all right. Amen. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>